the field to find the one that will be taking his place. It says in verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. He was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him and he threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he, being Elijah, said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, bulled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and he followed Elijah, notice this, and became his servant. He, became, he left everything and he became his servant. Now as you look here, Elisha's in the field. Elisha is in the field and he's plowing with a yoke of oxen. Now some commentators say that that was Elisha's field. I don't know that to be true. I tend to believe that he was there with the 12th because many times the, the farmers in that region, because they wanted to protect one another, they would share in the labor. And if a person had a field that needed to be plowed, they would gather up their neighbors with them and they would go out into that field. Because we don't see Elisha uh, killing more than one set of, your, of, of oxen. He just, there was a team of oxen, and he killed what belonged, I believe, to him. But I think it probably lends more to the fact that either Elisha had a servant spirit, or he was maybe one of the younger, or he got showed up to work late. But as they were lining up the oxen, he was with the last group. So there he is, he's eating all the dirt. You, you, can, you can imagine, they're making their rounds, and there's one, two, three, all the way down to 12. Now, they do the plowing in the cold of winter. Not when it's warm, it's cold outside. And he's out there plowing. Now, my question is, as we look at this passage, did Elisha know this man that walked into the field? You know, they didn't have things to occupy their time like their own gaming system at home. Nor did they have a you know, all the social media to occupy, to get information or disinformation. We won't go there. But I would imagine when they sat around the campfires at night, they had stories to tell. And it didn't take very long because we understand according to the word that many times there, uh, the, the stories would reach the neighboring nations. Servants in there saying, well, I wish there was a prophet uh, here in this land like the prophet of Israel uh, and Naaman's leprosy would be healed. Now, how'd she, how'd she find that? There was, a, there was a line of conversation that took place. You know, how did the servant of the armies that were against, uh, uh, against Israel, how did they know that the prophet was telling secrets of the king? There was talk going on somewhere. I venture to guess, personally, 
this is just speculation. This is not part of my message, so don't count it against my time. But I, I venture to guess that Elisha maybe have never laid eyes on Elijah, but he had possibly heard the story. And he possibly could have been a little irksome. He could have been one of the 7,000 that didn't bow the knee to Baal. And, and, and he could have been one of the ones that was a little bit tired of, his, of, the, of the nation and where they were going. And, uh, and this is all speculation, but I, I venture to guess uh, that he had a somewhat of an idea of this man, this prophet, who had this mantle identifying him as he walked through his field. Now, as we look at this story, it seems that Elisha, I just love the fact that he became a servant. And Elisha was in the field. You know, way leads unto way. You know what I mean by that? Way leads unto way. You start down a trail and you don't know where that trail is going to end. You just, you just start being faithful where you're at. I love what Teddy Roosevelt said. He said, your ability needs responsibility to discover the possibilities. Your abilities need responsibilities to discover the possibilities. And you just be faithful. It, it, wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the one sitting at the house that got called to be a prophet. It wasn't the, uh, the ones that were standing around when Samuel the prophet showed up to the house and he's anointing sons. It was the one out in the field when the Lord was looking for a king, he went to the field. When he was looking for a bride, he went to, to Ruth. She was out in the field. When, when he goes looking for a prophet, where does he look? He didn't look at the house. He didn't look at the school of prophets. He went out and looked in the field and said, is there somebody faithful out here I can commission? Is there somebody just going through the mundane, eating the dirt, in the cold, with the twelfth? Is there somebody out here I can promote? Is there somebody just want to be faithful to a Wednesday night service? Is somebody want to just show up? And, and, and let me just begin to do something inside of them. Just take their post and be faithful to it. That's a little bit better than the shepherd I just received. I'd run the top of those chairs, but my faith is not quite there yet. So let's look. Way leads unto way. You notice that the Lord called his fishermen while they were, his disciples while they were still mending the nets. He called Matthew while he was still over there pastoring. So we see here there was a brush fire, maybe a drive-by, can't call it a drive-by, walk-by. There was a walk-by just happened. There was a, there was a, there was a, if he didn't know what that mantle was that he, that covered him, when it touched him, he discovered what it was. Elijah was there, commissioned of God. He didn't go grab Elisha and shake him and say, get yourself ready. God's got a call on your life. God's got a purpose and a plan for you. Oh, I've seen it. The Lord's spoken to me. This is for you. It's because it's not Elijah's job to call Elisha. It is Elisha to respond to the call that is upon his life. I can see calls on people's lives, but I can't call you. 
I've got to rely upon the anointing to touch you. But my God, when the anointing touches someone, it awakens the call within them. Church, you can't call anybody, but your job is to be anointed by allowing the anointing to flow not only to you, but through you. So that the mantle of anointing, the mantle always represents the anointing. So that when that mantle brushes by, oh, I want you to know there is an anointing, I believe with all of my heart, that is reserved for this last day, church. Reserved for this generation. There is an anointing that is ready to fall from heaven upon the people of God. So that when you brush by, when you walk by, you know they're called. You've God's already spoken to you about their call, but you can't do nothing about that, but you can walk by them and just let the anointing just brush over them. When that anointing is present, it'll crush some yokes, it'll open some eyes, it'll tell the prisoner sitting in prison in his heart, you're free, go free. Pray for me. Pray for the increase of anointing. One friend of mine told me the best way to get anointing is get yokes. He said the more yokes you have, the more anointing you'll have. <laughs> get yokes in the house, not on yourself, okay? Don't, don't, don't misinterpret. <laughs> get, get more yokes in the house. Anointing. Awaken something inside I want an anointing to awaken a call, awaken a faith, awaken a hunger in a generation, an anointing that is just so uh, thought-provoking, that is so uh, irritating, if you will. It's just so uh, agitating that when it hits someone, they can't do anything but get up and begin to follow. I don't know if there's any other way we're going to reach this generation. But as we look here, we see something. Now, 1 Kings 19 and 20, that, that passage there where Elijah throws his mantle and then he, Elisha, he, he just leaves them. They, they keep on trucking with the plows because nobody knows what's going on. But Elisha, he just drops the reins. He might have messed up, but maybe that's why he slaughtered. He could have killed the whole field that day. <laughs> He just drops the reins and he takes off running after. Oh, I'm longing for the day where the anointing is so strong in the house that when you walk by the, in, the, in, in, in Walmart they're just like oh my god where do you go to church I gotta go find that place and they take off running and they want to they want to find out this God that you serve and so Elisha comes and he says if you'll give me just a moment I need to go say my goodbyes I need to go say my goodbyes. I, I'm, I'm, I've got to go. And the English translation of this passage doesn't really give it justice. Because it's like it, we get the idea that Elijah says, boy, what did I do to you? He goes from Italian on him or something. Boy, what did I do to you? You know what I'm saying? We get this image that it's like a Rocky Balboa moment. Yo, what did I do to you? Did, and it's not, that's not the case. <laughs> what he's saying in the Amplified kind of clarifies it. He says, please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I'll follow you. And he said to him, go on back for what I have done. 
to stop you. In one translation or one commentary says this, go back and say goodbye, but remember what has been done to you, and I'm not going to stop you from doing that. So there's a, he's saying it's okay to go back and say goodbye, and that anointing is going to wait there until you say your goodbye, and it took him a little bit of time, didn't it, because he had to go back and Man, those guys out there plowing the field, they don't know what's going on. But old Elisha, he's bringing his team in. He's like, we're not finished yet. There's a whole, we've got acres and acres to, to plow. And he's like, no, I, I got something else I got to do. And he goes back to the camp. And when he gets back to the camp, he takes out a, I don't know, an axe, a ball peen hammer, a sword. I don't know how he killed him. He just killed him. He just guts them, lays them out, and he said, well, all right, I'm going to take his plow, and I'm going to break it up, because he's got the spirit of the Lord on him. I'm going to gather up some more wood, get the boiling pot. We're going to have dinner tonight. What's on the menu? Oxen, oxen and oxen. Come on and gather it up. He gathers them up. He said, all right, here. There's enough for everybody. I got two oxen. I'm going to feed all, all other 11 of you guys. Go get your family. Take some meat home. You know, get, the, get the, the hydrator out. Make some jerky. We're getting rid of this stuff. It's all gone. See, that's why I don't think that was Elisha's field. Because I, I, believe, I believe the, the yoke of oxen belonged to him because he's not going to go kill what's not, not belonging to him. There's laws against that. <laughs> Don't walk up to your dog and shoot your dog, just your yard and shoot your dog because I don't like your dog. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, why did you go there? No, no reason, no reason. I love dogs. I love people. I've lost the anointing. Okay, there it is. I found it. So he said, look, i got to go say my goodbye. So he ran after Elijah because he in his heart of hearts, he's like, I want what you got. And I'll follow you to get it. I serve you. There's, there's something that has touched me that I need more of. And that's something you have touched me. I don't even just want to receive it. I want to give it. And we'll find that out in a few minutes. It's not just a matter of receiving. It's a matter of giving. So here is Elisha. Touches Elisha. He slaughtered, he boiled, and he burned. He slaughtered the oxen, he boiled the oxen, he burned the fat. What he's saying, and this is what this is how faith behaves. And I'm sorry, I, this is just the way I received it in my personal walk, and so that's the only way I know how to deliver it. And the only way that I found to have victory in God is you've got to have an all-in attitude. You've got to be all-in. I surrender all. I give it all to you. And I surrender all of it into your hand. I can't preach it any other way. 
because I've never experienced the other way. I've never saw it worked out or walked out in any other person's life uh, than an all-in attitude. And so to my dying day, unless God changes me entirely, I've just got to give it to you like I've got it. Uh, and that is you've got to give all to get all and to be all that God wants you to be. He didn't half give himself on the cross. Uh, he gave everything on the cross. Uh, and he's not asking any less uh, of me. And he being the master leading the way, how would I ever expect to give him uh, a half-hearted commitment uh, to the call? Uh, I wouldn't marry that woman over there. She wouldn't have married me if there was a half-hearted commitment uh, that was taking place. It was an all-in attitude. You say, God... I am not going back to that life. See, Elisha was assuring his future. He was stepping, as faith always does, was stepping into the unknown. He was saying, look, I'm not going back to this. Let me prove to you. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I'm, I'm not coming back here. I'm not coming back here. Well, how do you know that? Because I'm killing the ox, and I'm, a, I'm not a man of great means. It took me a long time. In fact, I may be on the run from daddy because these may be daddy's oxen, and I'm just certainly going to ensure the fact that I'm not coming back. This plow that I have, I'm not going to be a plowman in the world anymore. I'm going to set my hands to the plow of God, and I'm not looking back. If any man enter the kingdom and he goes out into the field and looks back, he's not worthy or fit to be able to operate in the kingdom. Why? Because you'll get eaten alive. You want to mess up everything that you're doing? Get your eyes off the end of the road. If you're plowing, you've got to keep your eyes fixed on the end of the road in order to keep that tractor, that plow moving in the direction it needs to move. You start looking around, guess what? You start destroying what you've already done and just start destroying what you should be doing. It's an all in. What is faith? How does faith behave? Faith is all in commitment. All in. You ask the hard thing. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just telling you what the story says. See, faith steps into the unknown. Here is Elisha, and he is moving into a future that is not promising anything. All he is operating on is this brush by, this walk by, this touch that he just received so awakens him. He's like, I've got to have goes after him. He becomes not the master of Elijah. He becomes a servant. I want you to, I had one of those downloads this morning as I'm driving in. I had to pull out my phone and run my, my wife get to record so I could put some of this, some of this down. But here's the thing, church. We have many times in the kingdom of God in our Western theology, and I, I call it a Western theology, and maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a theology, right? That we we equate success in the kingdom of God to comfort. If we're comfortable, then we're faith, we're full of faith, and 
and, and I, don't get me wrong, I'm not taking away from comfort, but I, let, me just, let me just share this with you. There was a distortion in the alienated mind of man to believe that the flesh pots of Egypt are of greater satisfaction than the milk and honey of the promise. Israel, when the ten spies went in, Israel was required to believe beyond what they could see. It's no different for you and I. In fact, we call that faith. To believe beyond what we can see. That's all faith is. Yet, when it came down to it and their, their faith was challenged, Israel preferred the familiarity of bondage greater comfort than the security of God as the singular source of their salvation. In other words, they were more comfortable with having the familiarity of being in bondage than they did to believe that God could source them in order that they may step into that place of promise. That the giants that were in the land, whatever those giants may be, that God was able through them to destroy those giants. And He was the source of their salvation. That's what we call faith. But folks, there's another aspect of it as well. And when in a child of God's life, comfort is more important than Christ's likeness, then the curse of the blessing is comfort. And will lead to complacency, which leads to conformity. See, when the familiarity of bondage is more comforting than transformative change, then what we have is conformity to slavery is ultimately going to be inevitable. But when we get to the place where we say, look, what I understand is that a Christian life and walk is not, is not all comfort. It is the transformative change of the Christ-like nature inside of you and inside of me where there's an anointing that rests upon us that invokes a change in our society. It evokes a change in a generation. It invokes a change to say, oh, I don't want the old man anymore. He is nothing to me. I don't want him. I don't want to have anything to do with him. I want to go after God. Tolerated in one generation will be normative in the next. The compromise of one generation will be the bondage of the next generation. Our paramount pursuit must be his kingdom and his righteousness. Now listen to this. Until we esteem the new life, our greatest hope, our richest reward, our all-inspiring desire, and view our old life as dismal, tasteless, torturous toil that it is, then we will not step into Christ's completeness. Let me tell you what the old life is like. The old life is like drinking sour milk, eating molded bread, and rotten meat. That's what the old life is to me. 
So the question is, why would we, when we can drink from the thirst-quenching fountain of God, eat the soul-satisfying heavenly bread, and feast upon the glorious goodness of the God who gave himself all for us so that he can have all of us? Amen? I'm telling you, it's time, folks, uh, that we get just bl just blatantly disgusted uh, with the old life we came out of. Uh, I don't want to glorify self. Uh, I don't want to long for self. Uh, I don't want to cower self. Uh, I want self to die, uh, and I want Jesus Christ to resurrect. Uh, amen. Uh, that we walk in the newness of life. Oh, it's time that we stop trying to, to bring sinners in and try to give them a little conformity. When we have the all-inspiring instruction of God to say, Lord, what we have is supernatural, and we want a transformation in this nation. Why would we settle for anything less? Why would we? desire the molded bread of Egypt when we have the, the bread of life living on the inside of us. See, maybe it's just in America. We get peddled a gospel that says you're only successful in the kingdom if you're comfortable. And that comfortability brings about conformity because you're complacent. That will eventually end up in slavery. We have a generation that is, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get them. We have a mantle to pass on. We have a baton to pass. We're going to get it done. We're going to do it through prayer. We're going to do it through seeking after God. We're going to do it through right understanding. We're going to do it by turning the light on to the, of, the, of the reality of a relationship with God. We will see a revival in this house. We will see sons and daughters come to know God. We will experience the power and the presence of the person. We will reflect the face and the image of God. We will do it because we believe that the God who touched us is going to accomplish it. Andrew Murray. Let me read a little bit to you. Out of his book, Absolute Surrender, several different chapters, you won't find this in one complete setting, but I just want to share this with you. The cause of weakness of your Christian life is that you want to work it partly and let God help you. And that cannot be. You must come to be utterly helpless to let God work, and God will work gloriously. Nothing will help you unless you come to understand that you must live every day, not one day, every day, under the power of the Holy Spirit. The great hindrance to trust, our trust in God, is self-efficacy. We must understand Faith is ready. Faith is ready. In the beginning of the faith life, and I didn't draw this title from this passage. I just opened it up and I thought, Lord, what kind of faith am I? So I found this. In the beginning of the faith life, faith is struggling. 
But as long as faith is struggling, faith has not attained its strength. But when faith in its struggling gets to the end of itself and just throws itself on God and rests on Him, then comes joy, then comes victory. See, I, I, I've, got, I've just, I'm, I'm, I'm going off script here just a little bit because this is what I'm going to share with you tonight. See, we get an idea in the gospel that we're trying to reform the old man, that we're keeping him around because we need to reform him. We need to get him moral. We need to get him cleaned up. We need to make sure he looks right, acts like right, behaves right. And, and, that, and we we got to be sensitive to him because he's a little touchy. He's a little touchy-feely. You can't say too much to him or he'll bolt out the back door. He'll just, you've got to make it, you've got to make the temperature right. You've got to get the, you've got to get everything just right. And if you say anything just the, real, just the least little bit wrong, you're at fault, not them. No, no, that ain't how it works. See, because we're looking for reform instead of transformation. And see, in that reforming that old man, instead of transforming him, we're, we're trying to we're trying to bait him with, come on in a little bit deeper, a little bit closer, and let me get you far enough away from your old life, and, and you can get over here, and, and you'll be as miserable as us, but you're going to have what we call this new life. Come on, church. Or we could get to the place where we say, look, go to the cross as an invitation of life and be crucified with Christ and die there instead of fainting over and over again. Just go ahead and die and then let Jesus Christ resurrect inside of you and you will have the peace. You will have the joy. You will have the hope. You will be transformed when you absolutely, entirely, totally surrender to him. That's all I'm after. I'm, that's, that's, yeah, we're making some changes, and that's great. Yes, we've got some seating, uh, and that's great. We're going to have some light, and there's going to be some paint, and there's going to be some other things, uh, and all that, all that stuff is good. But at the end of the day, what I'm after and what I want is when Shelba gets up and sings, and that mantle, I felt the mantle just brush over me when she sang that song tonight. When Sander was singing, I felt the mantle of the anointing of God. Are you hearing me? When Jesse began to minister, when people began to walk by, just leave me that anointing and the rest of it will take care of itself. It's time we stop paying a price for the price that's already been paid. When are we ever going to start just walking in it, talking in it, acting like we've got the good news? You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, one day, one day, God back today. Amen. The work's complete. There's no more nailing on the cross. It's already been nailed. Finished it. Everything that you need for victory has been paid for. Walk in it. It's 
son went to youth camp a few years ago. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. He went back the next year. He had, he's one of those studious, studious, brilliant children that just, he's got so many interests, he can't even think straight. He made bagels the other day. He crocheted. He went deer hunting. I mean, he's just got all these interests that he does. He was going to go be an engineer. He's got an engineering mind. He's got a career to get. He just crocheted. He's a multi He came back on camp and he said, God messed everything up. He messed everything up. He said, I said, Mom and I both told him, Jacob, if you can go do anything else, you need to go do it. I said, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to be an orphan that blesses five and it catches five. It awakens a desire baby to be the noblest in there. And they're like, I, I just, I can't do anything else because... And I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where this is going to end up. But at this point, I'm going to make sure that I'm not falling back on something. Because if I leave something to fall back on, I might always be falling. I'll do it till this point. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll just cash it in. No, folks, I'm telling you, there's anointing that's going to sweep over this house that says to individuals, you better saddle up because we're getting ready to ride. We're not going to settle for second best. Isn't that too much to ask for? But the desire for the old man and the rotten, moldy bread? I don't know if it was when Andrew opened up the milk carton she said, is this
all of this lineage that I had and as an Israelite, I was circumcised the eighth day, stocked with Benjamin. I, I've got all these, I, I, I have the first five books of the Bible memorized. I have the esteem of all of my uh, contemporaries and my colleagues. But he said all of that, uh, when it is accredited to my righteousness instead of the righteousness that came from the sacrifice of Christ, uh, you know what it is? Uh, it's like sour milk uh, and rotten meat uh, and molded bread. Uh, that's what it, the taste is like in my mouth. Uh, I'm just going to rest uh, in God, uh, and I'm going to go after the Lord. Uh, let me tell you, this faith life uh, is an exciting life. Uh, it's a life that says, well, uh, I don't know. I'm looking around me. I'm not denying the facts uh, that, that things are just the way they are. But let me tell you, I believe in the one who touched me. And it wasn't Elijah, Elijah that told me I was called. It was the spirit that rested upon him that told me I was called. And now I'm convinced, not by circumstance, but something inside of me tells me that this is the way. Let us crave the new man and the bread of life and the only fountain that can quench the thirst. Oh, God, let us be the generation, Lord God, that transforms a nation. Lord, let it begin here. Lord, we do not. Come on and stand to your feet. Lord, we do not. Lord, God, want reform. Lord, what we want is transformation. Lord, what we want is transformation, Lord God. asked the Lord earlier today, where do you want to leave and end up in this service? And what he showed me there was that card that I read of Andrew Murray about those that are struggling in an area. Elijah, would you come up? I'm just going to pray something. Those that are struggling right now. Approaching it in faith. You're, you're doing everything you know to do, but you're struggling. You're struggling. You're trying to get to it. You're doing everything you know. You're, just, you got the, you're checking it off. Checking your heart. Checking your spirit. But you're still struggling. When you break over to faith, there's several steps. struggling and then I'm not surrendered to him. Child of God, that chain does not have a hold on you. You're still holding on to that chain. I'm going to ask you tonight, and we'll take our missions off, but you're, you're in your hearer right now. And man, that's an awesome, tremendous thing. 
teach me to rest. Teach me to rest. This is not a response to condemnation. This is a response to say, Lord, I'm stepping into rest because I'm going to lay it down tonight. Come on, you're in this house. Step down here. Step down here. struggling in that area. God's going to give you rest. Come on. Come on. Some of you ladies, come help me. Help me, Tricia. Come just begin to just begin to love on her. Just begin to pray with her. Father, we thank you. Anybody else in here? You got that battle, that struggle you're going on right now, maybe physically, emotionally, maybe with a loved one, maybe with a circumstance. Maybe it's your body that's just it's not responding and you need God's help. Come on. Come on. Father, we thank you.